Hey, stay standing with me for a second. We're going to honor the Lord. That was incredible. Hey, so I have a, an amazing wife at home. She's not here right now. And a little two-year-old boy and a little six-month-old little girl, and they're amazing and cute. But, you know, my son, my two-year-old, whenever he wants me to hold him, he lifts his hands and he goes like this. And so when we lift our hands, it's saying, Father, we want you to embrace us. So can you guys lift your hands with me? He is the honored guest this morning. So let's close our eyes. Father, God, we give you this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to become the message. God, I ask you to come like fire again. Lord, your presence is demanding. You meet us where we are, but then you demand change. You meet us where we are, and then you bring us to where you are. So, Lord, I'm asking you to come and touch every life. Jesus, we magnify your great name. We honor your great name. Jesus, we ask that today you become the revelation that our hearts have been seeking, that we find everything whole and complete within your heart. Because, Jesus, without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, become everything, because Jesus plus zero equals everything. So, Lord, I ask for conviction. I ask for love. I ask for your mercy and your grace. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. Just stay there for a second. You guys doing good? I have zero plan. I have no idea what's going to happen. But we're just going to trust God. Is that okay? I want to honor Pastor Dan and Fee for having me. And uh, we will have more time to hang out. My sister, my oldest sister, got married last night. So my legs are a little tight because I was tearing up the dance floor last night. Uh, but pray for me because I've woke up at 3 in the morning today. But I'm so honored to be here. Worship was incredible. You guys are a hungry house for the things of God. I can already feel just the healthiness here and just what you walk in and the grace and the gift. And so I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I, I want to honor Todd. I want to honor Gary and Gail. The, without them, I wouldn't even be here. But I honor Todd White. I, I've served under Todd now for, I'm in, my, I'm in my fourth year. I was his executive assistant for a long time. And now I'm just being sent out to minister, and it's been amazing. So I honor him. I honor lifestyle Christianity, and I'm excited for this week. And again, if you've never, how many hands have never been to Power and Love? Let me just see them again. If you've never been to Power and Love, I'm telling you, your life is going to be different. And you know, our heart is, we don't, we don't, we want to come in and we want to do what you guys have already been doing. I believe what, what's going to change cities, what's ultimately going to bring change to a nation is, is the local church. It's those that are here every week sowing into the people in this city, sowing into this region. You guys are going to be the ones that are going to change this city. We come in for a week and we want to take what's been kindled already, set a match to it and say, now go. Now go. Because the evangelists desperately need the pastors and the pastors need the evangelists. And I believe that if we can step into this ministry as family, because revival is family. And if we can step into this as family, you guys can see your city be transformed in a way like you've never seen. I promise you, because it says, I love it, it says in James that those that hear the word and don't do the word are like a man looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting who they are. And so I, I hear it all the time, you know, I grew up in ministry, I've never known anything else, but I hear pastors all the time, we meet with pastors, uh, along with going out and teaching, I, Gary and I handle the pastoral relations of the ministry, and we hear it all the time with pastors, is man, I'm just, I'm preaching all the right stuff, I'm doing, I, I'm going after identity, I'm going after intimacy and righteousness, and man, it just, something's not clicking, and, and if we aren't going out and living out the revelation that we are hearing, we can get good word all day, but if we don't take this word and make it part of our life, you'll leave this building forgetting who you are. So it's not the pastor's fault. We have to step into our job as the saints for the works of ministry and begin to live out what the gospel demands. Amen. And so we, we teach them, let's not only hear the revelation, but let's do the revelation and let's become the message everywhere we go. Amen. I, my dad is, is a pastor. He's an amazing man of God. And he would always tell me, you know, the hard part about teaching 
word in depth is sometimes people get into this place of just wanting the revelation next week. What is he going to say next week without living out last week? And we get into a place of just going through life and going through the motions. And then we have an American church that's become like Eli. It's become overweight and stale. A lake that isn't moving, that attracts flies. But what God's raising in the earth is a river. What God's raising in the earth is a people that are saying, God, I'm going to go after this with all my heart. I'm going to lay down my life for the sake of your gospel. No matter what it, no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, I'm going to offend religion every single day of my life if I have to. And we're going to go after it. Amen. So I'm really excited for this week. Ken, thank you for having me. My name is William. I, uh, I, I grew up in ministry. My dad is a pastor. I've never known anything else. I don't have a... I don't have dreadlocks and toe shoes or a testimony of being on drugs and alcohol. Um, I used to think I didn't have a testimony to share because I wasn't on that stuff, but I see it as a blessing now because, you know, what is, if I can know his presence my whole life, what is it going to be like for my kid when he's two? You know, and so my son is, uh, he sees, he prays for people every day wherever we go, and, and he's two years old. He's laying hands on on the sick. I'll share a couple of testimonies with you. He's just amazing. But, you know, he's, our kids are going to watch us and they're going to model us. And so what is it going to look like when he's 10? Man, I'm going to teach him to go to school and cast out devils. Because it says that these signs will follow them that believe. He says, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. Man, I'm going to teach my five-year-old to raise the dead. And people are like, well, I don't believe in that. Have you tried? <laughs> so, I've never known anything else. I've always known ministry, and, and for a long time in my life, I ran from it. I, uh, my uncle is a big evangelist. I've, I've seen stadiums all over the U.S. filled. I've seen arenas filled. Madison Square Garden, 30,000 people outside, 5,000 outside still. They couldn't get in. I've, man, I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've seen tumors dissolve off people's necks in front of my face. I've seen people that have never walked in their life. Women that have, I saw a girl specifically one time in London, England. I imagine you're from somewhere around there, hearing your voice. Okay. But I, uh, I saw a girl never walked in her life. She got up out of a wheelchair and walked on a stage, and none of it saved my life. None of it did it. Actually, I, I saw from the time I was, I was five years old, I know, that we have, I know that we have kids in here. I remember being 10 years old and experiencing the power of God in such a way. I remember my dad praying for me at 10. I had no grit. I had no religion in my mind. I had nothing that could offend. I didn't even know what was going on. I remember him laying hands on me. I remember shaking and screaming on the ground, having no idea what's happening to me, but knowing that the presence of God was real. And so I've seen it all. I've, I've encountered it all. I've seen devils manifest from the time I was a little kid. To me, what wasn't normal was going to a church where stuff like that wasn't happening. That's, that's just my testimony, but none of it saved my life. So I saw all these amazing things and, and uh, still went to school, still looked like the world. Man, I was the hypocrite in church on Sunday morning, lifting my hands, doing all the right stuff. Man, I could, I, I could get into the Word and I could, I could debate people in the Word because I'd never heard anything my whole life, but it wasn't a conviction. It wasn't an experience. It was just knowledge and nothing else. And so I went through life just... Man, seeing the miracles, seeing all the stuff, I would go and I would, and I would do all the right things and say all the right things. I'd have my hands lifted in church, and then Monday through Saturday, I was partying with my friends, doing all the same stuff, looking like the world Monday through Saturday, but Sunday, I looked like the kingdom of God. And I would tell my dad, I would say, I'm never going to preach. I don't, I don't want to be in ministry. I don't want to do this, and I don't know what happened. But, but it wasn't until I had an encounter when no one was looking it wasn't until I had an encounter with Jesus when no one was watching, when the lights weren't there, when the stages weren't there, when my family wasn't there, when the cameras weren't there, when the miracles weren't happening, but God brought me to a place of being alone with him. You know, I love it. You, you know, Pastor Dan talked about Mark 6. Later on in Mark 6, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, look at all of these things that we've done in your name. And they're telling Jesus testimonies and Jesus is not impressed with their testimonies. His response to them is, why don't you get alone for a while? Everywhere you see Jesus in scripture, this son of God, he is running away to be with his father. Today, the crowds come, we get out social media, we get out on Instagram, we wanna make sure everyone sees it, but Jesus, our king, ran to the mountain with his father. It says the crowds came and he ran, but because of compassion, he stayed. Like his whole life, 
was I need to have an encounter with the Father, and then I'm going to go and reveal it. Jesus didn't come to just die for our sins. The whole point is he came to reveal the Father. And so I remember I was, I had, I got into the world. I got into music. I was doing music with, in the secular world and, and just all kinds of stuff. And I had, it's a long testimony that I don't have time to share, but I was, I was mixing music for Snoop Dogg. That's just how deep in I was. It's like my uncle is on TV laying hands on people and I'm mixing music for Snoop Dogg. So it was just a very, and, and grew up, grew up where in a family where everyone knew my name. Everyone, I went to a small Christian school that didn't really agree with my kind of life. And so, you know, I, I, I grew up in high school and people would be offended at my uncle or at my family and just fight after fight, all this stuff. And so I ran for ministry. I had wanted no part of it. So I ran to the secular world. I did music, did all that stuff, ended up moving to Dallas because the Lord had spoke to my dad to start another church. When we got there, I got a job in a warehouse and I was packing boxes and I was on this assembly line. I had left all of my community, my friends, everything was depressed, was discouraged. Thought, Lord, I, 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 you know, people have prophesied over me, all this stuff, what's happening to me? There's no calling, there's no anointing. I'm in a, I'm in a warehouse packing boxes, working on an assembly line. And I remember having an encounter with God in Romans 8, 29, that says that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to him. And I thought, Lord, I've been looking for purpose. I've been looking for destiny. I've been trying to find what you have for me. And God shows me in his word that before the world was, before the foundation of the world, like Ephesians says, that before the foundation of the world, he knew me. So, which means that before God ever said, let there be light, he said my name. And he gave me a destiny and he gave me a purpose. And that purpose, he says in Romans 8, 29, is to simply be conformed to him. And I thought, I've been looking somewhere, like we have sayings in church today, you know, brother, it's okay, one door closes, another one opens. No, no, no. The scriptures say that he is the door. And so I found this door, I found this treasure. I'd been looking for God to use me. Man, you go into the secret place and we pray because we want God to use us powerfully. But you know, intimacy, being prostituted is not a good thing. And that was my life. I would go there for me. I would never go there for him. And so I found him in this warehouse, in this discouraged place, in this low place. But again, his anointing and his presence is quite demanding. So it demanded me to a different standard. And all of a sudden I encountered him and I realized, oh my gosh, Lord, I've been looking at this all wrong. I've been trying to find what do you have for me. I've been trying to find purpose and destiny. But Lord, you are the purpose. God, you are the destiny. I read in my Bible, God, you're the beginning. You're the ending, which makes you everything in between. And I got over this thing of, of I'm, God, I need you to use me. God, I'm called to, what if I'm just called to minister to his heart? Like what if God came to us and said, that cubicle that you work in, that you're, that you're upset with, that you go there every day, but what if I was in the cubicle with you? Is that enough for you? So God would start drilling me with questions. I started getting up before the sun got up. I love it. And God would speak to me and say, I want you to get up with me before the sun gets up and meet with the sun. And I would get up and I started dedicating my life to him when no one was watching. And I met this man in secret when no one was around, when no one was looking, when I wasn't performing ministry and God killed me. <laughs> he completely, utterly crucified me. And now I find that almost every day I have open heart surgery because I want God to use me in purity because we need a young generation that walks in character and walks in power and is not ashamed of this gospel. So the Lord radically, just radically flipped my life upside down and it wasn't even at an altar. It was in a room when no one was watching. And so I, I, I started reading the scriptures. You know, my dad preached this amazing message of identity my whole life and I, and I realized one day I've been I've been hearing him, but I wasn't listening to what he was saying. And the Lord started showing me, I mean, you read it all over scripture, what Jesus actually accomplished for us on the cross. And so I, I live my life really on these three pillars and I'm gonna go somewhere and then we're gonna pray and I'm, we're just gonna see what God does. But 
I live my life when I believe that we have an encounter with God because what this world needs is a real encounter with real Jesus. Man, everywhere we go all over the world, there is a hungry generation, whether they know it or not, with a real encounter with a real Jesus. And what's amazing is, is that God could have put a castle in the sky and a, and a little boy walking with his mom could have said, Mommy, what's that? She said, well, that's where God lives. And it could have been amazing and it could have wowed people and he could come and he could physically appear if he wanted to, but he chose not to do that. He said, I want you to be my everlasting habitation. I want you to, my father and I, we're going to come, we're going to make our home with you. And so God came to, to live in my heart so that I could be the encounter that the world is looking for. Come on, what is Romans 8, 19? It says that the creation earnestly waits in expectation for the sons of God to be made known. I love it because it goes from this only begotten son to him dying. He says, unless a seed dies, it can't be multiplied. So he dies because it's like Jesus, I believe, got to this point where he sees and he, he's the fullness. He's all the power in one man. And he's looking at a, at a whole body of people with the resurrection alive standing in front of him and they don't see it. And I believe that he came to a place realizing, Lord, let your will be done because I must die so that they can live. And I am going to multiply myself. And now Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, becomes omnipresent. He can be preaching in Dallas and Chicago and South Africa all at the same time because now he's multiplied. And it's amazing because it doesn't say that creation's groaning for the only begotten Son. It says creation is groaning for the sons of God. You made known. How many of you are sons of God? Women, it applies to you too. If I have to wear a dress and be a bride, you've got to be a son. That's just how it works. But you realize like the world, it's like God is waiting in anticipation. The world, whether they know it or not, they're waiting in anticipation. And the church is quiet. The church is the only one without expectation. The church is the only one not realizing the world's waiting for us. The Father's waiting for us. He's already given us all things. Everyone say all things. All things pertaining to life and to godliness. Like you've been given all power. Like his blood was good enough to wash what you did, no matter what you did. Like I think it's so, I think it's so funny when people are like, you know, I'm just a wretched sinner. No, you just want an excuse for your sin. Because if you really saw what, you, what he did for you, there's no way you could ever say I'm a sinner when he says you're a son. There's no way that's even possible. That's like saying, Lord, I know that you died and I know that your blood's valuable, but not valuable enough to wash me. You know, my dad told me a story. He said one time I was shaving and, and I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, Lord, you know what I've done. You know my past. You know my failures. I can hide it from my family. I can hide it from my church if I wanted to. But Lord, you know, like I can't hide anything from you. And he's shaving and he's looking in the mirror and he's not seeing the glory of the Lord looking back at him like the word declares. And God speaks to him and says, it's time that you stop looking at what you've done. You start looking at what I've done because it's not about you. You see, we think that humility is saying, oh, I'm just this, I'm nothing. I'm just this wretched sinner. But it's false because true humility is letting Jesus crucify you. It says in Colossians 3 that when he died, all died. Every single one. And now my life is hidden in Christ. You see, the greatest humility is walking in the power of God. Because, it's not, because you have to die. Like if I tried to find my life, I shouldn't be able to. It should just be his life. So I, I, I started seeing it in scripture. I started realizing, God, what you actually say. And then all of a sudden, hope goes from being hope deferred to now get your hopes way up. Like the world tells you, don't get your hopes up. We teach our kids, if you pray for the sick, if they don't get healed, here's what you do. We need to stop it. And we need to tell them, when you pray for the sick, they're going to be healed. Like my son, I'm teaching my kids, when you pray, something is going to happen. Because if I can teach them to believe it, it's going to happen. But you see, we've had experience after experience. We've had failure after failure. But if Jesus was in the room, there would be no failure. Because he said, this is my will, that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's no disease. In heaven, there's no death. Death is an enemy. In heaven, there's no failure. In heaven, there is only victory, life, and life more abundantly. So that's God's desire, not only for your life, but for every life you encounter. So I am, so I'm hungry that God, you said in your word that as, as he is, 
so are we in this world. It doesn't say that as he is, so am I one day when I die and put off this tent. It does not say that in the Bible. It says that as he is, so are we in this world, which means right now. That everything he is, the Bible says, is everything that we can be right now. But you have to die. You have to sign up to die. Because we've heard a gospel way too much about just using Jesus to be a fire escape out of hell and into heaven. But the God that I know is so much more than a fire escape out of hell. I heard A.W. Tozer said in his book, Pursuing the Pursuit of God, he said, anytime we preach the gospel and we don't create a special desire for a person, we've simply just used Jesus as a means to get somewhere. And I didn't marry my wife and stand at the altar because she had a really nice house. She actually brought nothing, like she was completely broke. But I stood at the altar with my wife because I made a decision that I'm in love with her and I'm going to fall in love with her every day more and more. And it had nothing to do with the house we were going to live in. I wasn't even thinking about the house I was going to live in when I stood up there. I was only thinking about her. So my heart for this morning is, is I want to create a special desire that we get back to Jesus. Because listen, and I'm not saying this is here, but you guys can be a light. You guys can be a witness. Because I read in Revelation 2, it says that we do all the right things today in church. Man, we're doing it right. We're doing the family. We're doing all the, we're doing the men's groups. And it's all amazing and it's all needed. But he says, I have one thing against you that you have left your first love. So we're going to get back. And my heart is, Lord, I always, I never want to leave that place of first love. I want to minister to you. I want to touch your heart. I'm not going to have church to serve people. I'm going to have church to minister to you. And us as people are going to walk up the mountain together. So my, so, so my, my testimony in a nutshell is I was in church. I was in ministry. I was seeing miracles. And none of it saved me. And I was still very lost. Because you can stand before him and say, look, Jesus, at all this stuff we did in your name. We cast out devils. We healed the sick. Look at all of it. And he can still say, I never knew you. Get away from me. It wasn't until I found him. And so I, I, I had this encounter with him. He starts teaching me my identity in Christ. I see it all over scripture. Just read Ephesians 2, Colossians Colossians 2, Colossians 3, read Romans 6, but I see very specific things that Jesus did on a cross. And it says that when he was crucified, we were crucified. It says that when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. This is all scripture. This is not my message. This is his message. When he was crucified, we were crucified. When he was when he died, he, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was quickened, we were quickened. When he was raised, we were raised. And when he was seated in heavenly places, we were seated in heavenly places with him. It's unbelievable when you see that in scripture and you realize, Lord, you didn't just die for me. You actually died as me. And all of humanity hung on a cross. All died that day. It says that he died, all died. Colossians 3. So you're either dead or alive. There's no in between. Like you're either hot or you're cold. There's no lukewarm. God spits that out. So when I realized, Lord... You, you crucified me on a cross that my old life has no part of me. I, you know, like if in the church today, it's like we, we have system after system of how to get free. Jesus is freedom. We have system after system of how to get healed. Jesus is healing. Like every answer is in a person. You know, if Jesus walked into my office and I, and I needed healing in my heart and I was seeking him and praying, he walked in, I probably wouldn't say to him, it's just going to take time. I just am going to need my process of healing. Just leave me alone, please. Man, I let this healer come into my life, rip everything out that doesn't belong, and say, I am your healing. I am your resurrection. I, I am the life. See, the life that you're trying to gain through, through systems and strategy, it's never going to work. Because this book is not merely principle. This book is an experience with a person. Jesus is not a theory. Jesus is not a doctrine. Jesus is more than theology. He's a real person with a real touch, with a real encounter. And he will shake your room if you'd let him. He will offend religion every single day because guess what? Religion brought him to a cross. So I, I know that our heart with lifestyle and my heart is I want to live a life that upsets the religious spirit. 
Because listen, I don't think the world is the issue. The world's groaning. You just turn on the TV today, turn on the news. There is a groan that needs to be answered, that's waiting for us not to fill buildings and be quiet, but to leave them with something to say. So the, the world is, the see, see Jesus, the sinners were never the problem. It was the ones who thought they knew something about God. He says, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life, but you never come to me. And then what does he say in John 17? That this is eternal life, that they may know you. Can I say something? And if you have questions, you can ask Pastor Dan. He said that you can't be offended. So you did say that. John 17, it says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, right? So do you know that nowhere in scripture does it say that I have to physically die to experience glory and experience eternal life? Nowhere in scripture. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life is not locational. Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is relational. You will put off the tent. You will step into glory. You will go into heaven. But what am I saying? I'm saying, what if I don't have to wait? What if Jesus died, not just so I can get into heaven, but so that heaven can get inside of me? What if Jesus died so that the kingdom of God doesn't have to be something where I wait because it doesn't come by observation. I'm just, I'm just speaking the word. It doesn't come by observation. It doesn't, oh, there it is. One day we'll see it. But the kingdom of God is within you. This is like, this is a real thing. Every single person in every single seat has something to give away. Because I'm telling you, man, I've seen it my whole life. I've seen, I've seen the, the anointed men on stage and we've needed it. The generals in the kingdom of God, everyone's wanting this mantle and that mantle. I love my cousin Michael, you guys will hear him this week. He says, if you want any mantle before you want a mantle of wood on your back, which is the cross you're supposed to be carrying, you should never desire anything else. But we have these anointed men of God and I believe that the days of the one anointed man on stage, filling arenas, all of it's great. But what God's doing is, is I believe that those days are over because God is raising a whole body of people where everyone's anointed, where everyone has something to carry, where everyone has something to give away. Like what if we didn't need the Todd Whites and, the, and, and all the people, the big evangelists to come into town to create some expectation and have lines outside for three hours. Like it's amazing and it's, it's incredible what he said. Like, expectation brings increase expectation brings his presence Do you know what hope means when it says that christ in me is the hope of glory that word hope means expectation confident it actually says in the greek confident expectation so christ in me is confident expectation that glory is going to be upon my life that's what it means right so when we come what's our expectation because we have meetings and we're like, well, that guy's really amazing. And, and they are. I'm not, I'm not discrediting any evangelist or anyone that God uses. They're all incredible. But what if it's the expectation of the people that pulls the power? What if there's a way we can, we can tug on the anointing and demand it like Pastor Dan said? There is. And what if on Sunday we didn't need to offer this and that to have people on time, but people came with expectation because we wanted the room to shake again? Man, and I promise you, I, I, I get a kick out of this. Peter is preaching. He doesn't even realize that the Holy Spirit is available at this point. He's just preaching to the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit shows up again. And it says the room began to shake. And they began to speak in tongues and magnify God. I often think to myself, they probably weren't sitting in that room going, Oh, bless the Lord. This is amazing. When are we going to Chili's? Great word today, Pastor. No, no, no. It probably really shook, and it probably really upset some people, and religion all over the region was probably really bothered by it. You see, we need some dangerous meetings again. Like, when I, I'm sitting in worship, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm home. Like, we need, we need church where, like, what if the clock didn't die for our sin, but Jesus did? <laughs> see, I think sometimes we heed the clock because we got to get somewhere, but where are you going where are you going to go without him? Man, what if we need to heed him more than the clock? Because the world is looking for something real. Man, I love it. I, I, I've, I've traveled with Todd for a long time now. And, and this guy has seen devils manifest on airplanes. He's like, I'm going to steal two for 10 hours. What else am I going to do? And stewardess are just manifesting in the section where people go to the bathroom. 
Like, that's going to freak some people out. But you know what? The world is waiting and groaning for it. <laughs> I love it. So I started seeing identity. I started realizing, Lord, you paid a price, a very high price, so that I could live out the value of that thing. Because the price of anything is based on the value, or the value of anything is based on the price that was paid for it. So what was the price that was paid for you? And so I thought, Lord, I, I've been living below what you've called me to. And normal to God is walking in power. I've been living below normal because I just haven't believed, believed what you've said about me. And what he said about me was, actually, I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to come alive in you. And my glory is going to be seen upon you. And when people try to find you, they're not going to be able to. They're just going to see me. Like, what does that life look like? That's going to be real power with real encounter. And so I, I saw identity and I realized the first place it, it threw me was to my closet. And without intimacy with God, without building a home with Him, you know, I had, I had, I had an experience with God in two, at the end of 2017 in December where I was, I was driving home from work and I remember I had just, you know, I had really been diving into my secret place and I had been preaching for years. I had been doing all this stuff and the Lord had been showing me identity. But you know, how many of you know we continually increase into Him? Like God is a really big God. You're always learning more, you're growing and you're never gonna stop. Like I'm always gonna keep eating him. It says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. There's a lot of blood and there's a lot of flesh. Like God is a big, all-consuming God. And so in 2017, I was driving home from work and I remember I, 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 I was in my car. I remember the road that I was on. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I need you to teach me how to talk to you in secret. And I thought about intimacy and I thought about my wife and I thought about just even in, in, in marriage and it's what's most important as a husband in, in not just even with intimacy, but just in life in general, whether it's sometimes, you know, you, there's dishes in the sink and you take care of it for her and she doesn't even ask, you know, and, and <laughs> women are like, praise the Lord. <laughs> there's, there's the amen that I was looking for. I'm just kidding. So, you know, like the greatest pleasure I get as a husband is when my wife is pleased. A true husband believes that and a true wife believes that about their husband. And so I thought, Lord, I've always gone for me. I've never gone for you. I go into the closet and I, and I present my needs to you, which the Bible says to do, but what about ministering to your heart? Like, God, what do you need to hear? You know, I love it. You see Moses, you see Moses and God comes to him and he's like, I'm so sick of these Israelites. They've, they've gone in a circle for 40 years. They're complainers. They, they gripe and they moan and they, and they never are thankful. And he says, you know, Moses, I'm going to just destroy them all. I'm going to start a new nation out of you. And Moses, the first thing he does is he begins to pray and remind God of God's attributes. Like, think about it. You're a man, a mere man, and you're sitting on your face reminding God of who God is ministering to the heart of God. God is so touched in his heart that he says, you know what, Moses, because of your prayer, I'll, I'll, I will pass over them and forgive their iniquity. Like, I don't know if we realize the place that we have in God's heart if we'd allow it. See, there's a room, it says that in my father's house, Jesus said, it's good for you that I go. In my father's house, there's many mansions. It's, that word mansions is rooms. Within the father, there is many rooms and he gives you the key and only you can go into that room and only you can furnish that room. And it's a special relationship only between you and God. And so I, I told the Lord, I, I repented. I said, God, I've never gone there for you, for you. I've always gone for me. And Lord, I need you to teach me how to pray. I need you to teach me how to talk to you. I need you to teach me how to, how to actually touch your heart when I get into the secret place. And I heard God speak to me in my car. I will never forget it. I'll never forget the road that I was on. And I heard God say, William, now you're asking me the right questions. Just like that. And it was as if God opened the front door to my car, sat in my seat, and the fear of the Lord hit me. And I was so, it was so real that I didn't even want to look to my right because I was like, I'm going to see something and I might crash. That's on, as honest to God, that's where my heart was. So I ran to my closet. I ran home and God spoke to me and he said, you've been preaching, you know your identity, you've been doing all these things, but you've never built a home with me. And I started seeing it all over Psalms 91. And you read this, this psalmist, he says, there's one thing I seek and one thing that I desire that I, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
And I always had this mindset that we come to church or we, or we go into our closet and we pray and we pray in the temple and we seek God and then we go and we leave and God said, I never told you to leave. Like, how do you leave a temple that you've become? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I run to my closet and I open up and I open up the word and the first thing I see, Psalms 91, that those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And God said it. All I want you to do is when you pray for the sick, when you preach the gospel, stay in the house, just open the window. And what's happening inside will get on those outside, just like that. And then you see people like John G. Lake, he would say, I have one hand on the sick and one hand on the throne. See, without intimacy, there can be no flow of power. One hand on the sick and one hand on the throne. And so I started diving in. I got up before the sun got up to meet with the sun. And I started having crazy encounters with God. And I found that all of a sudden I would leave my place of, of my time with God and I would leave and all of a sudden the power of God, praying for people in public, it just became out of rest and not striving. It came out of this place of knowing God. My only desire was just to be with him. And when I was with him, he showed up. Like I would walk, when I first started hearing Todd and you guys will hear it this week, Power and Love, I would go to grocery stores and I would think like, who can I snipe in here? Like someone's gonna get healed, people are gonna have wheelchairs, and it was very much like, man, I'm gonna get someone today. But you see, my heart was in this place of it's really easy to evangelize and it actually not be about him, but it be about you. It's really easy to step out because you wanna share a testimony with people, not because you wanna share the testimony of Jesus. And so I found myself in this place of God checking my heart of people became practice targets of for me to release my gifts and people are not practice targets. And so the Lord started just correcting me in the secret place and correcting me. And I found that I used to go into the grocery store like this. And I would look for the sick. And it's amazing and it's great. And God taught me through that. But then I started going to the grocery store to get groceries like a normal person. Because the world doesn't need weird. Let's stop being weird. Okay? Like going into the grocery store and screaming in tongues is not going to save anyone. So I went in and I got groceries and I tried to follow a list my wife gave me and I couldn't find anything. Four hours later, I'm coming home with ketchup and that's it. I couldn't find anything else. So, so I'm in the grocery store, but now, but now I'm in awe of God. Now the reverence of God hit my heart. And now I'm walking into the store and all I can think about is him. And all of a sudden my eyes are open and I'm seeing the sick really for the first time. And, I'm, and I find myself walking up to people in his home and just feeling like I'm holding his hand, bringing him to people for the first time in my life. See, before I had this idea when I pray for the sick and they've got a knee brace on that I'm pulling him down from somewhere. It's not how it works. Because I'm not the healer, he is. I just go, let me introduce you to my friend, my best friend. He's gonna touch you today. He is the one that heals you. Come on, the disciples said it's Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that heals you. You see, healing is a person, salvation is a person. It's all about Jesus. So if our life is not all about Jesus, what is it about? So I was at the grocery store and I was seeing God do things. I remember right after that encounter with God in the secret place. See, no one's, no one's watching you in that place. There's no one there. There's no worship team. There's no, it's just you and God. And God is just, just doing open heart surgery on me and teaching me of who he is. I would go to, God led me to Ezekiel 44. It talks about two different types of ministries because I, I also pastor in Dallas. And I remember God came to me and, and led me to Ezekiel 44 and it says that there's two types of ministries. And he's describing, you have the ministry that the pastors, they stand on the outer court, the ministers and the priests on the outer court and they're for the people. See, it's very, we have to be very careful as pastors, as churches, that we're not the outer court priesthood. Because it said the outer court priesthood, it stood with the people in their iniquity and all their abominations. And see, it sounds right, it seems right. Like, brother, I'm gonna carry you and we're gonna walk through this, but what if you're just walking through someone with their sin? God didn't tell us to hold people up in their sin. He tells us to pull people out of the pit and give them to Jesus. So Jesus can take away sin. And so I, 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 was, I was the guy on the outer court, man, I love, it's okay, I'm just here to listen. No, 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 we're gonna demand a standard on the life of his people. And so I was, I was reading and it says there's those in the outer court and they minister to the, to the people because you stood with them in their abominations and their iniquities, your inheritance is going to be them. 
Like, we, we, have, we have marketing plan after marketing plan as ministries, as churches, how to fill more seats and strategy after strategy. Like, what if Jesus became the marketing plan? What if Jesus was the statement of faith, was the mission statement? What if his presence was our vision? So I was, I was the one, man, we, we got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to do this. Outer court. And then God said, but your inheritance is going to be more people. You might have... You might have 5,000 people, and it might be amazing, but that's your inheritance, but there's a greater inheritance. And this one will cause you to start with the 12. So, he, so then you keep reading Ezekiel 44. Just read it on your own time. You get down, and it says, but then there's the priests, the ones that will come into my chamber, and they'll minister to my heart, that their first priority is ministering to me. And I said, Lord, I just I want to be the one that ministers to your heart. I want to raise up a people that when we come to church, the first priority is simply to minister to God. And as we minister to him, he'll become the message for them. He'll be the one that is magnified. Come on, they come to Jesus, the Pharisees, and they try to say, what's most important to you? What are the, what are the most important commandments? He says, love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. See, you can't love yourself unless you first love God. Because when you see God, you see the reflection of yourself because God made his, he says, you're my image and you're like my likeness. We have to fall in love with God all over again. And only then can we actually become love for people. We have to walk into the grocery store so infatuated, so in awe, so fascinated at the presence of God. Like what would it look like if we walked into Starbucks and the presence of God just started residuing on the walls? Like, I, I pray crazy prayers. See, this might offend people, but I pray things like, Lord, I want you to drip off of my skin. I want to walk by people so full of you, so lost in you, like, like just gazed over. It says that in Psalms 34, they looked at him and became radiant. What you look at, what you're staring at, you're going to reflect. See, if you stare at a TV all day in the news, you're going to reflect debate. If you stare at this show all day or this movie and, you, and, you're, and you're locked in and it's idolatry, you're going to start talking like them, walking like them, dressing like them. We're going to build culture out of it. But there's only one culture. It's called the kingdom of heaven. You see, so, see, the problem is, is what are we looking at? What are we staring at? See, when you stare at Jesus, you radiate Jesus. So I'm like, Lord, I want to walk into Starbucks having stared at you my whole life. Like the lady busts into the room. She offends the disciples. She breaks the alabaster box, pours fragrant oil all over him, and they're offended by it. They're offended by the waste. I, my prayer is, is that God raise a generation that is wasting their whole life on Jesus and offending religion. And I want, I want to walk in, and I want knees to tremble. Like otherwise, what am I doing? Like we need real power again in the church. We've replaced it with good ideas and good strategies, and I'm not against it, but we need the power of God to be the strategy. We need people to walk in, and the minute they walk in, to start manifesting the devil, and everyone knows what to do. So um, there's a desperation in my heart because, listen, without identity, without intimacy, there can be no overflow. There can be no power. There can be no righteousness. You'll try to obtain what's right without him who made you right. Like you can do, it says it in John 15, without him, we can do nothing. No, that means like zero. You can actually do nothing without him. He needs to become all in all, everything on a constant basis. Because I'm telling you, the world is hungry for a real encounter with God. It says that we may be in the word, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. You know what that word knowledge means in Greek? It means science. Just look it up. It means science. If we don't have an encounter with God that surpasses what science can explain, that surpasses our logic, that surpasses our, our complex thinking and ana analytical thinking, all that stuff, if we don't have an encounter that surpasses that, we might just have a good idea of God and not really know him. We might just know him in theory. We might just know him because we heard a really good message on Sunday. But what does it look like when no one's around? And what is, what is your life expressing when no one's watching? Has this word become an experience because I'm telling you, you find him on every page. 
You see, when you meet God, when no one's looking and you actually fall in love with him, you go from reading to eating. Like you go from, you go from, from prayer to, you'll find yourself like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, I, I heard this, this amazing man named Eric Gilmore. The only way to describe it is bliss. But you know, you get into this place when you come into intimacy with God where like the talking stops. Like how many of you go into, the, you go into prayer and you find yourself, I've repeated the same thing 48 times and you feel like you're getting nowhere and God, thank you for your grace, thank you for your mercy. And then your mind wanders of the meetings that you have and all the things you have, Lord, thank you for your grace, thank you for your mercy. You start scrolling on Instagram. Like it'd be pretty weird if I started scrolling on Instagram when I'm with intimacy with my wife. Like leave your phone outside. Or took pictures about it and posted about it. Like did you read the Bible? That didn't get it, amen. But you know like, we have to get back to what's real. We have to get back to a real love with a real encounter with a real God that wants to transform lives and it starts with you. It starts with us. It starts with saying, God, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. It doesn't matter what people think because I'm not living to please people. I'm living to please you because God, your desire is that you be seen upon our life. He came to Moses in Numbers 20 and he says, I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to speak to the rock and water is gonna come out of that rock. But you see, Moses couldn't believe that the word of God could be in his mouth. So he trusted this rod that he had seen miracles through. And instead he hit the rock twice. And water still came out because God is faithful. But it says that the Israelites rejoiced, but God was displeased. And he said, Moses, because you didn't heed my word and sanctify me before the people, you won't enter into the promised land. You only see it. Think about it. Because you didn't purify me in front of the people, you will never enter into the promised land. What is he saying? That God's desire is his purest form of being revealed. What sanctifies him as God before people is him coming out of your mouth. Oh, I don't think you see it. Moses, I am not happy with you because you didn't speak to the rock. Because you didn't become as me in front of the people, which sanctifies me, I'm not going to let you enter in because you trusted in the rod more than the word in your mouth. See, we trust in good ideas. We trust in strategy. We trust in principle and all these things. And it's all great and it's all needed. It did the miracles. It did all these amazing things. But you come to a place where God said, I, want, I don't want the rod anymore. I want you. I want to come out of your mouth. And you're going to speak to the rock and water is going to come out of that rock. Like, what it says, he tells Peter, Peter, I'm giving you keys. And what you bind, heaven is going to bind. And what you lose, heaven's going to lose. You see, I think we get into a place sometimes where we're waiting for heaven to come. But really, really, truthfully, what it says in this word is that heaven is actually waiting for you. Like, just open your mouth. Just pray for the sick. It is his will to heal the sick. It's very clear. But Jesus is waiting for a people that will say yes to him. A people that'll say, God, I'm done with just this confessing Christian thing. No, God, I want to live a life that's worthy of the blood that you shed. I want to live a life that everywhere I go and everything that I do, you are revealed. So I remember after I started seeking God and ministering his heart and I would go in and I would tell God how beautiful he was. And I'd think to myself, Lord, if I'm on a plane and I know, God, you don't vent, but if you needed to have someone to talk to, I prayed that I would be the one you would come to. Like I pray that as far as I'm concerned, I am your best friend because I give you the time because I don't fit you in on my way to work because I don't build my, my schedule around my work and just fit you in as one of the check marks on my day, but I actually make you the point of my whole day and my whole life. Like God, we, we fit him in and then we wonder why we're bored with God because God doesn't have you. We need the passionate speaker. We need all these things to feel zeal about God. Like, no, no, no. What if God wants to shake your room when no one's watching? What if God wants to give you an encounter that you'll never understand and start to steward the mysteries of him? Like God is, God is waiting for you. But we fit him in. We just make it work. Man, it's just really tight right now. I just, and we, and we get into this mindset. God is waiting for you. And he sits there in the secret place and he waits and he waits. You know what's amazing is I went into that office a thousand times before I ever noticed him in there. 
But the place that I went in a thousand times, I went in with a different perspective. And when I walked in with a different perspective, I actually noticed him there. And when you recognize him, presence comes. You see, when we're in meetings and we're worshiping, that's why I love when we worship, because you get into worship, you start worshiping. Like he says in his word, I'm not gonna pour down my spirit, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. You get, in, you get into this place of worship, you begin to recognize him, you worship him, and he begins to bubble out of you. And we create incense onto God, that's why you can be anywhere, we can start worshiping, and the atmosphere will change in the room, because he pours out his spirit. But you have to recognize him for that presence to come. I walked into that same office and I saw him there for the first time and everything changed. And I remember, just a short testimony, I remember it was actually the day after, it was the morning after I had that encounter with God in my car and I'm almost done. Can I actually, when do I have to? Okay. Would it be okay if I had the worship team come back up really quick? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be done in a minute and then we're gonna, I, I specifically believe God is gonna heal some people. Is that all right? We're just gonna worship five minutes and then and that's it. The next morning after I encountered God in my car like that and, and I committed to God, God, I'm no longer gonna prostitute your anointing. I'm no longer gonna have intimacy for my own gain because that's called prostitution. But God, I'm gonna have intimacy with you because Lord, you're worthy of my whole life. You're worthy of my full yes, of my full heart. And I need to have an encounter with you. Because if I'm not, Lord, having an encounter with you, then all I'm doing is sitting here waiting to go to heaven. And listen, just, just hear me really quick on this. If it's all about dying and going to heaven, then death is the victory. If it's all about dying to experience glory, then death is your entrance into glory. That's not the case. Death is an enemy. Jesus raised the dead. It's not about dying and going to heaven. It's about dying to yourself and letting heaven get inside of your heart. So when I went to that place, I decided, Lord, I've never signed up to die. I've only just, just incorporated Christianity and I was the CEO of my company. But Jesus, I need to be completely surrendered, like completely. And I remember the next morning I woke up and I couldn't wait. I just couldn't wait to run to my office. And I met him in this place. I'm telling you, I, I remember I would run in and, and I feel the Lord. I'd run in, I'd open the door. And I remember like a child, I would open the door and I'd say things like, Lord, I'm here. And God was so real, God was so present because I recognized him. Like I, I'd been preaching for, for years, but never recognized him when no one was looking. I remember I walked in, I'd ask childlike questions. Like I was so excited to build this home with him. And I, and I, can, and I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I, I haven't left since. It's been the most amazing, like I've, I feel like I have had more in, in two years than I've had my whole life. And, and I, would, and I would ask God like childish things like, Lord, where do I put the furniture? And God would lead me to Psalms 93, right after Psalms 91, he'd lead me to Psalms 93. It says that holiness adorns his house. And I thought, oh my Lord, a holy life, a pure life, living out of love for you, not because I wanna follow a law, but because I just wanna love you and become the law. Lord, holiness gives you something to sit on in my life. God started speaking to me and showing me things. So the next morning I, I was so excited about it. And I remember I, I, went, I ran to my secret place before the sun got up and, and I am just loving on Jesus. Like I never had had, like I didn't go in there with my planned prayer. I would go in there and God would just tell me to stop talking. Like, let, let, me, let me help you. And I would sit there and it was like, I would get into this place of bliss. You know, it says that, it, it says that Peter was on the roof praying and he went into a trance and had a vision. So we don't understand that, but that word trance in the Greek, when it talks about the Peter, it's like, it's like this ecstasy in the spirit where you can come into a place with God where he'll quicken your mortal body. Like we don't, we don't believe that, but what if God wants to touch our mortal body? See, we don't have a problem with devils manifesting and people rolling on the ground, but if the Holy Spirit does that, uh-oh. Man, like, 
We need, if it looks weird, it doesn't matter. Like if, if it's God, I want all of it. If it's the fire of God, if it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire, I want all of it. I, I don't want some of it. Like I want all of it. Like Peter got baptized in the upper room. Fire comes, it sends on him. And then it happens again, just a couple chapters later. Like he just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming so that you can keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. But if you're not pouring out, why would he ever come? And we set up dams with ourselves. Water can't get through. And he said, out of your belly will flow rivers, rivers of living water. It doesn't even say river. It's like multiple rivers. Multiple, it's just going to keep coming and he's going to keep coming as you keep giving and as you keep giving. And so I was so hungry. I was so desperate for just God for the first time, not ministry because ministry, I've seen it my whole life and ministry leads nowhere. You have to encounter Jesus. He has to become the door. He has to become the purpose for your life. Young people, listen to me. The calling on your life is to love Jesus. The calling on your life is to conform yourself to him. I don't pray things like God use me. I just want to be so close to him that I become a tool in his hand. So I started diving in and I remember the next morning I woke up and in the middle of my quiet time, God tells me to go check my mail. I will share this testimony for the rest of my life because this changed my life forever. Go check your mail. And I, and I, and I travel constantly and I never check my mail. I was actually living with my in-laws at the time, or my, my brother-in-law and, and sister. And, and there's four of us in the house. So I'm like the least one to go check the mail because I'm always gone. But I hear God tell me to go check the mail. So for the first time, I think in a year, I had gone outside to check the mail. And I'm walking up to the mailbox and I get there and these two girls are walking up the sidewalk. And, and I am in this place of, the only way I can describe it, I know it sounds weird, but it's, this is in the Bible, is I'm in this place of almost ecstasy with God. Like, I don't care about anything else. I just want Him. Like, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm completely wrapped up in love with God. Like, head over heels. You know, like when you fall in love with someone and, and you can't stop thinking about Him. You wake up thinking about Him. You go to sleep thinking about Him. Like, the psalmist said, God, what is it about man that your mind is so full of Him? How many of you know that scripture? Like, what is it about us that God can't stop thinking about? Like someone in love, you know, like, like how many of you, you know, you, you, you send a text, you fall in love, you know, you're, you get the little butterfly things and, and, and you, you text them and then they, you know, they're taking a while to text you back. So you feel like the phantom buzzes in your pocket. You know, the young people know you're like, oh, and you can't wait for them to respond. And, and like, that's, that's how God is with you. And Paul said, my desire is that is that I'm apprehended as much as he's apprehended by me. Like, what kind of love is that? Like, it's deep calling onto deep. It's not deep calling onto shallow. Like, I need to be deep, deeply in love with Jesus. So I'm like in this place, I feel like for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm in this place where his voice becomes like the, it's like the phone in my pocket. Like, what is he going to say next? And I keep checking it. So I go outside and, and these girls are walking up. And they walk up to me and they start asking me questions. They start asking me, hey, we, you know, they're obviously trying to sell something to me. And they're like, hey, we want to know what, what inspires you. And I said, well, let me tell you about them. So I started ministering to them and, and they thought I was a freak. They thought I was a lunatic. So then they go, they're laughing and stuff. And they go, no, 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 we want to, like, what wakes you up in the morning? And I said, he wakes me up every morning. And now they really thought I was nuts. And I said, listen, I know you guys are trying to sell me something. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to get you a check. I don't even want anything. I just want to bless you. I go inside. I get a check. I come back out as I'm opening the door. See, I believe if we can get close enough to God, we can actually hear God. Because I read about a God that whispers. He's a whispering shepherd. Why? Because he wants you to be close enough to hear him. You see, when you're busy, that's why it says, you know, when the, when the seed falls, it can fall on three different grounds. The stony, the thorny ground, or the wayside. You see, it falls by the wayside. You're not paying attention. The stony ground, it says there's no depth, but then it falls in the thorns. And this is where I think most of the church is at. The thorns, it says, are the cares of this life, the distractions of this world, all the stuff that you've got to get done, how you think I've got to provide for my family, I've got to do this. When did you become the provider over God? And so it falls in these thorns and it chokes the word and you can't be sensitive to him and you can't hear him because you're busy with yourself. But actually you have to die to yourself. So I felt like, oh my gosh, the thorns aren't here for the first time. 
So all of a sudden, I feel like I'm hearing them clearly. And so I heard the Lord say, as soon as I open the door, they're both in abusive relationships, just like that. Just a whisper in my ear. And, and, it, and it came as a thought. It came as like an overwhelming thought. And people are like, well, how do you hear the voice of God? He speaks to us through his word. I believe he does speak audibly. But it sometimes he'll come into our minds. Like, how many of you have the mind of Christ? Maybe some of the thoughts are him. And the only way you're going to know if you have the thoughts of him, believing you have the mind of Christ, is when the thought comes, you got to step out on it. That's how you learn his voice. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked to someone, hey, do you have pain in your knee? Nope. All right, well, I'm just trying to learn my father's voice. They think you're crazy, but it doesn't matter. I'm not living for them. I got free from them and I'm living for him. So, so, I, so I heard it. And so I walked up and, and I didn't say, hey, I, I, does this make sense to you, man? I really knew it was God. And I said, hey, before I give you this money, the Lord just spoke to me that both of you are in abusive relationships. And, and for the first time, I didn't have this anxious, scared thing and I really felt him with me. And one girl, there's two girls, and one girl loses it, starts bawling, crying, losing it on my driveway. She can't recover, and I'm asking her what's going on, what's happening. And she goes, you don't understand. When I walked up to the mailbox and I saw you there, now I had just been reading that if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, he'll abide as a shadow over you. Like he'll live as a shadow. That word shadow means he'll hover over you in Hebrew. Like if you just abide in his house, he'll not only be in you, He'll be over you. He'll be all around you. He'll be the glory behind you that protects you. He'll be the Holy Spirit that goes before you like you can't get away from him if you tried. So, they, so this girl said, I, I walked into the mailbox. I saw you. And she said, I felt something go through my body. I thought, that's wild. Now, I've been praying, Lord, I want to walk into the store and I want people to feel it and know that you're there. She said, I felt something go through my body and I immediately thought about this abusive relationship that I'm in. Now she's gathering herself. She says, I turned to my friend and the friend is in shock. She said, I turned to my friend and I said, I need to get out of this abusive relationship that I'm in. And then you come out and say that we're both in abusive relationships. How did you know that? I said, I know nothing about you. Jesus knows everything. Jesus is infatuated. Jesus is in love with you. He just wants your heart. And he's speaking to me because he's speaking to you and he just wants you. She's losing it. And, I, and then all of a sudden, God starts downloading more about her fighting for her youngest son in court. And she's fighting for her son in court and just all this stuff. And, and God is touching her. So I looked at the other girl. I said, well, what about you? She said, well, actually, I'm a Muslim. I thought, perfect. She said, and my parents have been really hard on me. I think they had beaten her and just done some not good things. And so I said, and you're done with religion, aren't you? She said, I can't stand religion. I said, well, guess what? Jesus is not religion. He's a real relationship with a real encounter. Like he'll come and he'll be in your bed with you. He'll wake up with you. He'll wake you up in the morning. I can't tell you how many times. See, some of you might not believe it, but I can't tell you how many times I've been asleep. And I know that God wants to spend time with me, but you know, maybe I forgot to set the alarm clock and I'll hear a knock or something and it freaks me out. I wake up and there's no one knocking. I believe that God wants relationship with us like that like I, I want God to tug on my foot say come on it's time it's time it's time to spend time with me I've been waiting for you like how, how many of you can remember the last time you just spent hours with him with no agenda so so I look at the girl and, and she said uh, she's Muslim all stuff and, and so I ministered to them and both those girls walked off my driveway receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? It was easy. I didn't have to try. There was no striving. I was just listening because I was recognizing for the first time in my life. The Lord is waiting for people that are ready to release something. But he can't release anything until you say yes. So I want you guys to stand with me. I want everyone to close your eyes. And I want you to get this picture in your mind. Just close your eyes. Just lift your hands. Every eye closed. Jesus, you're worthy. I want you to picture, I want every eye closed. I want you to picture this man on a cross, like the bloodiest crucifixion that you could ever imagine. The Bible says, the Bible says he was marred beyond any man, like you couldn't even recognize him. I want you to get a picture of this man, Jesus, your king, hanging on a cross, blood everywhere, blood dripping off of his face, down his brow, on his chest, and dripping off of his feet, hitting the earth in which he created. The very earth he created, crucifying him on a cross. I want you to get this picture in your mind of Jesus hanging on a cross for you. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I living for you? 
Am I living the value that you paid? Picture it. And God, like, like hungry children, we come. And we put our hands underneath that blood that's dripping off your feet. And we wipe it all over our bodies, every eye closed. Get this picture. Wash us in your blood again, God. Burn in our hearts again, God. Bring us back to love with you, to love with you. God, let us look back up and see a cross now with no man on it, a God that's been raised. And ask ourselves the question, am I willing to pick up this cross? Am I willing to be crucified? Am I willing to die for this gospel? Pick up this cross and follow after the one who gave himself for me. See, a confession is different than a yes. And many of you have made a confession to follow Jesus. Many of you have made a confession of your sin and said yes to Jesus to get to heaven. But you sing, saying yes to God is different. Saying yes to God is denying yourself. He said, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself pick up his cross and follow after me. That's saying yes to God. That's saying, God, it's more than a confession, but God, I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to you. So I want you to, everyone to put your hands down and I'm gonna give you a question and allow you to respond. And I do not want you responding if this is not real to you because God will not be mocked. But if you... Now, I know many of you have given your life to Jesus, but if many of you are saying, God, I just want to say, I want to give you a real yes. Like a yes that'll bring me out of my comfort zone, a yes that'll cause me to step out, a yes that'll take me beyond where I've ever been, but this yes is me signing up to die, to die to my desires, to die to myself, to desire, to, to die to any idolatry in my life, to die to sin, to die to it all and say yes to you. I just want you to stretch your hand in the air if you're gonna say yes to God today and dedicate your life to him again. Father, I thank you for every hand that's up. Lord, we come and we say yes to you, Lord. God, we come and we give you our yes. We dedicate our lives, God, no matter what it looks like, no matter the cost, no matter the price, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what people think, Jesus, we say yes to you. We dedicate our lives to you again today. We say, God, have it all. Have it all. God, I dedicate my time to you. My whole life is yours. <laughs>